Dear loving and heavenly Father, truly we want to rejoice as we come before you today as we begin the book of Mark. We truly pray that you'll help us to understand the message that comes to us through your servant Mark and that truly we will learn about Jesus afresh and truly give our lives day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute to serving Him and glorifying you in everything that we do. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I might have shared this illustration with you uh, before, but uh, I couldn't find a better one, so I'll share it with you again. But uh, I've been having this problem. And my problem is this dream or nightmare which I occasionally have. And this uh, well, dream or nightmare which I have comes in the form of this. I am uh, in my dream, obviously, I'm sleeping. And I imagine myself on the night before uh, what is generally my most difficult exam, which is the, my advanced mathematics exam. Okay? And in my dream, I'm like way, way behind in my preparation. And it's very, very late at night. And I go to sleep. And when I wake up, I realize that I've slept through my alarm. And I rush all the way to the exam hall. And I get in there and everybody's really busy at work. They're scribbling away and I haven't done anything. And I turn over the page and the exam, my advanced mathematics exam is written in Chinese. Right? And uh, I, I've had this exam. Uh, sorry, I haven't. I've had this exam in my dreams, right, for many, many years. It first started when uh, I was working in an accounting firm, and a few days, or, or maybe a week before I was meant to meet my manager or my partner to review my files, I would have this dream in my in my in my, in my sleep. And then later on, when I was working in my computer company, uh, every quarter we have to meet up with. Uh, the financial controller, every year or six months, we have to meet up with the managing director. And I also have this dream. And now I have this dream, maybe every once in a while, if I'm late for preparing for my sermon. right? So what is this dream all about? I think the dream is all about not being ready, isn't it? You're not ready to meet with your boss. You're not ready to meet your partner. You're not ready to meet with your managing director. You're not ready to meet with the congregation. Now, have you ever felt that you are not ready? Have you ever felt that somehow you're not prepared to meet someone? Well, today, in today's passage, uh, it speaks about the importance of being ready. Are you ready? And not in the sense of, you know, the, the phrase, are you ready? Every time I, people say, are you ready? I always think of, you know, like New Year's Eve party, right? Are you ready to party, right? Or Singapore Idol, are you ready? But not are you ready in that sort of things, but are you ready in a really important sense? The important sense of meeting with Jesus. And today, as we look at today's passage, there are two main ideas in this passage. Why we must get ready to meet with Jesus and how we are to be ready when we meet Jesus. Why we need to be ready when we meet Jesus and how we are to be ready when we meet Jesus. So turn to me in your Bibles to verse 1 of chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, put out your hands. We've got lots of Bibles at the back. Okay, so verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And right here, right from the very start, if you understand this verse, you understand what Mark is about, what the gospel of Mark is about. Because here, he underlines and tells you right up front what his book is about. That is about the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I want to look at those words. The gospel, what does the gospel mean? Now, some of your Bibles might say the Gospel of Mark at the top. And then you turn, it says the Gospel of Luke. 
than the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of John. But that's not the way the Gospel is being used here in verse 1. The Gospel here literally means good news. Good news. But not good news in the sense where we might say, oh, you know, it's good news because Arsenal drew yesterday. Okay? And you're a Chelsea supporter or something. Oh, good news, I got a raise. Oh, good news, I, got, I did really well on my exam. Because in the Bible, whenever it's used the gospel or good news or good tidings, it's always about something very significant that is happening, something very crucial and major is happening. That is the way the Jews understand it. That is the way the Old Testament understood it. And that is the way that we should understand it. Now here, if you look in verse 2, it says, it is written in Isaiah the prophet, right? Okay, so Isaiah features very prominently in the book of Mark. And here, if you look up here on the slide, okay, I, okay, if you look up here, it's a bit close for me, but if you look up here in Isaiah chapter 40 and 52, you'll notice that the way that Isaiah uses gospel or good news or good tidings is all about something very important, something which relates to God and something significant that's being fulfilled. So it says there in Isaiah 40, you who bring good tidings or good news or gospel, right, to Zion, Go up on a high mountain, you who bring good news or good tidings to Jerusalem. Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up and do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Isaiah 52, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace and who bring good tidings. Right, good news again. Who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. So here, right at the very beginning in chapter 1 verse 1, Mark wants us to pay attention. He says, look, get ready. Because there is good news. Not minor size news, but mega good news. Not insignificant good news, but significant good news. Not trivial good news, but serious good news about God. And the good news concerns three things about Jesus, right? It says there, the good news or the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And those three things tell us a bit about what is going to happen in the book of Mark. What is being unpacked in the book of Mark. Okay, the next slide. Okay, so it talks about Jesus. And Jesus is not just the name of Jesus. Jesus means something. Jesus is uh, like my son's name, right? The Greek equivalent of the Hebrew of Joshua. And Joshua literally means Yahweh is salvation or God saves. Right? So in Matthew chapter 1, it explains the meaning of Jesus. It says, Mary will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Okay, so why are we supposed to pay attention to this good news and to get ready? Because the Savior is coming. God is coming to save. But not only that, Jesus is the Christ. Now, he is not the Christ as in his surname, right? Not like Ong or Lee or Tan or, 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 or something like that. He's not called Mr. Christ, right? Okay, Christ is his title. It's like doctor or reverend or sir or king or lord. That is a title. And what he's saying is Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the anointed one. And as I said before in the past, right? we always think of in England, you know, when they have the coronation ceremony. And we have the coronation ceremony to appoint the king. They always get the sword and they, you know, the guy kneels down in front and then they tap the shoulders with the sword. Right? As part of the coronation ceremony for the person to be recognized as king. 
But in the Jewish society, for the person to be king, they would pour oil on the person, symbolizing the pouring out or the anointing of the Holy Spirit on that person. And that's Jesus. He is the anointed one. He is the Christ. But Jesus is not like any other king. See, there are many, many reverends right, in the world. Many doctors in the world. Many kings. Right? There's king of England, king of Tonga, king of Nepal, king of Spain. But in the whole history of humanity, in the whole of the human population, there can only be one Christ. There can only be one Messiah. <clears throat> because the Messiah or the Christ was the king in whom all the promises of the Old Testament will be fulfilled. There could only be one Christ who would rule the world forever and ever under God's authority. So, why must we get ready? Why is that good news? Because the Savior is coming and because the Christ or the Messiah is coming. And he goes on to say that Jesus is the Son of God. The Son of God. Now it's not clear until much later what this means, the Son of God. But I think if we look at this passage, it talks about how Jesus is not just human. He's not just a human figure. But he's a divine figure. He is God. And as we go through the book of Mark, we will see that it's not just the words of God that speaks through Jesus, but when Jesus speaks, He is God Himself. When Jesus does work, He is actually doing the work of God. Later on, we'll see that Jesus forgives sins. And they accuse Jesus, only God can forgive sins, but Jesus forgives sins. So, from verse 1, it's very clear that we must get ready. We must get ready because the Savior is coming, the King of all kings is coming, and God is coming. And then verse 2, it says this, it is written on Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord made straight paths for him. Now if you look at this passage, if you look at your NIVs in verse 2, it just says it is written in Isaiah the prophet. But if you look in the other translations like the KJV or the ESV, there will be a connecting word there. It will say even as it is written or for it is written, or as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. So, actually verse 2 connects to verse 1. And I want you to look at verse 1. You see, it says that the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I never noticed that before, you know, when I was studying the book of Mark. We often, we just say, why does he say the beginning? Why doesn't he just say the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God? He says the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, because the good news of Jesus just doesn't come when Jesus comes into the world. The good news comes even before that because John the Baptist comes as a messenger. But not only that, it comes even before that because it is prophesied in the Old Testament that a messenger will come before God. So if you look up here in the slide, right, this slide, you see that the Isaiah was written about 7, 700 BC, that sort of time. And uh, there's a quote here in verse 2 from Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 3. Malachi is the last book, the last book of the Old Testament, the last of all the books of the prophets is uh, in Malachi. And uh, he wrote in 400, 
50, 430 BC, around there, 400 years before Jesus. And quoted here in this passage is Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. And what Mark is saying is that the good news that comes to us is, is so important is because it is the fulfillment of 700 years of God actually saying, look, get ready, get ready, because I am coming before you. We need to put on the spectacles of Isaiah, we need to put on our sunglasses of Malachi and see just how significant the coming of Jesus is. Like one of the youth said yesterday in uh, the youth Bible study, right? that's why it's quite interesting to go to the youth Bible study, he said, Jesus is not like Superman. You know, you know, Superman just comes into the world, right? And that's Superman, okay? No, Jesus is, is actually some, someone who's actually been predicted over 700 years of the history of Israel and they're looking forward to the Christ and the Messiah. And that's why Jesus is good news. Because He is someone who is, who's, who's the apex and the fulfillment of God's promises that He's going to come into the world. He's not some flash in the pan or Johnny come lately. And what happens here is, Mark says that these two passages, if you look at these passages, they say that a messenger is going to come into the world to prepare the world for God coming and meeting people. And that's very important, isn't it? Because if you look up here, next slide, right? It says, John the Baptist is this person who's going to prepare the way for God coming into the world. And what it tells us is, God wants people to be ready to meet with Him. See, God is not like the traffic policeman. You know the traffic policeman? And uh, He's hiding on the overhead bridge, right? right? To catch you as you're speeding. All right, uh, there's always one at Lonnie Road. You must always be careful. All right, at the traffic light at the, I mean, the overhead bridge. You know, if you go over 70 kilometers per hour, they want to catch you. Or you know, just up here on Thompson Road at the bus lane, the policeman's always hiding behind the bus stop there. Right, going around the corner, and you, you know, if you're in the bus lane, he will catch you. See, God is not like that. God is not like trying to catch you and give you a ticket to go to hell. Right? God wants you to know far, far in advance that He is coming. And you must be ready to meet with Him. Now, how will the people know that John the Baptist is the messenger of God? Right? How, how will they know? Is he going to be wearing a badge or a t-shirt? Like, you know, sword or something? No? Messenger of God? No? Well, in verse 4 onwards, it tells us that John the Baptist can be recognized. He can be recognized by his dress, and his message. That's how the people will know that God is coming. Because John is that messenger. So look at what it says there in verse 4. And so John came baptizing in the desert region, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. Now one of the secrets of, uh, or the keys of understanding the Bible is to sometimes ask, why does Mark tell us something and sometimes he doesn't tell us something? Right? Why does he choose to leave out things and why does he choose to tell us things? Because obviously if he wants to tell us something, it's important, right? 
Now we're not told how Jesus is dressed. We don't, we're not told, uh, you know, the dress sense of Jesus. Why is it here we're told what John, what, uh, John the Baptist wore? I mean, surely it's not that important, isn't it? I mean, why do we need to know this? Well, it is important, right, again, because remember I said we have to put on our, our glasses from Isaiah, our glasses from Malachi to understand Mark. It is important because we have to see who John is. John is not some sort of crazy hippie from the 60s, right? He's not into some sort of new age, alternative lifestyle. You know, he's got this new fashion sense. He's trying to bring, a, you know, uh, like uh, he's the Gianni Versace of the day or something, right? But what John is trying to do is he's trying to tell people by his clothes that he is the one preparing the way for Yahweh God to come. See, for the Jews, they would remember they had a great prophet called Elijah, a very mighty prophet called Elijah. And what did Elijah look like? Well, up here in 2 Kings, oh, 2 Kings up, chapter 1, verse 8, this is what Elijah looked like. The king asked them, What kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you this? They replied, He was a man with a garment of hair and a leather belt around his waist. So, remember what John the Baptist wore, right? He wore camel's hair and also a leather belt around his waist. And the king said, That was Elijah, the Tishbite. And in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, it had said that someone like Elijah would come before God came again. See, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, second last chapter in Malachi, in the Old Testament, says, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land of a curse. You see, this Elijah-like person would be the messenger who would prepare the way for the Lord. Now, I know many of you, uh, maybe not some of the older ones, but all of us, the younger ones, I consider myself young, would have known about Rislow. You all know Rislow, right? Okay? And Rislow is uh, famous or infamous because of the interview she gave, remember? And, uh, you know, they asked her what she likes to wear. So she said, oh, I like to wear red, blue, yellow bikini, right? And then why do they, why do you like to wear, you know, what, what's your fashion sense? And she said, oh, I, you know, she likes to wear things which go, boom, right? It shouts at you, which says, look at me, right? That's what she said, love, okay? That's what I'm saying, okay? And that's what John the Baptist clothing is doing, isn't it? John the Baptist clothing is saying, boom, Look at me, right? And what am I symbolizing? I am symbolizing Elijah, the one who comes to prepare the way for the Lord. Because if you look behind me, right? if you look right behind over my shoulder, who's coming after me? It is Yahweh. Yahweh is coming after me. And that's why John the Baptist wears the clothes that he wears. And that's why Mark describes the clothes that he wears. But look at the message. The message of John the Baptist, which also is important. Verse 7. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I. The thongs of whose sandals I am unworthy to stoop down and untie. 
I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, in the ancient world, it was unacceptable for a Hebrew slave to bend down and untie the sandals of another Hebrew person, another Jew. And I think that you sort of think that even in our context in Singapore today, that you, you wouldn't get your maid to untie your shoes and take off your shoes for you, right? I don't know. Do you? No, right? Okay. I don't. And he's my dad's mate, so I can't ask him to her to do that for me anyway, right? But, but it's somehow it's too demeaning. It's too humiliating. It's too shameful to get another human being to do something like that, to, to untie your shoes and to take it off. But look at what John is saying here. John is saying the opposite, isn't it? If you look up here on this slide, I, I, I try to do it visually for you so it's easy to understand, right? So, it is too lowly, too humiliating, too shameful for a slave to untie and take off the shoes of his master. But look at what John is saying. John is saying that he is so low, he is so much lower than the person coming, that he is not worthy to untie the shoes and sandals and take off the sandals of this person coming after him. You see, why is that? Is it not because John the Baptist comes before God, isn't it? That is the measure of who comes after John the Baptist. It is someone so powerful that he can't even see himself untying the shoes and taking off the shoes of this person. Now let us not forget who John the Baptist is, okay? In verse 5, the whole of the Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Imagine, the whole town, the whole countryside, the whole country went to John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a, is a great prophet. He is a foremost prophet. He is the last prophet, the last 300 years of Israel's history. He, he makes, okay, think of the biggest mega church pastor in Singapore, right? He makes the biggest mega church pastor in Singapore look like a Bible study leader. Right? Because can you imagine the whole of the country side and the whole of the city comes following after John the Baptist. He is a great leader, a great prophet. But yet compared to the person coming after him, he's not even worthy to untie the sandals and take off the sandals of this person. Why? Because the person coming after him is that powerful. So he says, you need to get ready, right? You need to get ready because the one coming after me is not just another prophet, it's not a priest, it's not a king, it is the Christ and it is Yahweh, isn't it? And I think that for us, we often forget that Jesus is God. We often think of Jesus as Savior and Christ, but to have someone who is so great that John the Baptist cannot even untie his laces tells us that Jesus is God in every way. So I want you to Understand the Old Testament. You see, it's so important to understand the Old Testament. Because look up here on the slide. Look up here on the slide, right? In every one of the prophecies that is mentioned here in Mark so far, who is coming? It is the Lord, isn't it? It is the Lord with capital letters. And when the Old Testament has the Lord with capital letters, it is the word Yahweh, the name of God Almighty, the covenant God. So, in Elijah, Elijah is preparing the way for the, the Yahweh, isn't it? The good news, the good news, I can't see very well from this close, but the good news in Isaiah 40 and 52 is God is coming. 
God is coming. And the next one, in Isaiah 40 and Malachi chapter 3, it is Yahweh who is being prepared for by this messenger. So when you think of it, no wonder John the Baptist cannot untie the sandals of this person coming because any human being, any creature, is not great enough to approach God to take off his sandals, isn't it? If he comes as a man. Now I remember when I was in America, um, uh, last year now, yeah, it was last year, seems like a long time. Last year, and uh, I remember we were driving, or actually I was driving, from uh, Los Angeles to Las Vegas. And we stopped in this town in the middle of nowhere. Okay, why did we stop there? Because my, my wife wanted to go shopping. Okay. And this town, I tell you, it is smaller than Haogang. Okay, this town is smaller than Haogang, but it has a shopping center, probably 10 times the size of Heartland Mall. Okay, it's got a factory discount center or something. And it is super huge. Right, it's like, it, it just blows your mind how much shopping there is there. Anyway, what do husbands usually do when wives are shopping? They sit down on the bench, right? Which is what I was doing. Like, I was sitting down on the bench outside. Because, you know, there's only so much shopping that I can do. And I was sitting there, and this old Chinese lady comes up to me and uh, starts talking to me in Cantonese. I thought, you know what, she want, maybe she wants to go to find the toilet or something. So I say, all right, I'm sick tang, sick tang. Oh, okay, okay. So then she starts talking to me in Chinese. Then now, what? Okay, okay. Then she starts speaking to me in English. In English. And then I said, ah, oh, yeah, I can speak English. Then she said, oh, good, good, okay, we can speak English. Then she starts preaching to me about how I need to become a Jehovah's Witness. Then I, uh, I, I, I pulled out my phone. Right. I pulled out my phone because she's quoting me all these passages lah. and I started fiddling around then I said I said look the Bible doesn't say that then she said what do you have there I said my, my phone has the Bible then she said you're cheating she told me right so then I said you know why is it you Jehovah's Witnesses why don't you believe that Jesus is God she said well show me in the Bible where Jesus is God then I said okay look look right at the very beginning there of Mark see look there see it says Isaiah said this right Malachi said this. If you go back to the original, Lord there is Yahweh. John the Baptist prepared the way for Yahweh. I said, why don't you go and check that out? And you'll see that Jesus is God. Then she went off and she never came back. Now, I think it's so important for us, isn't it, to understand that why Jesus needs to be someone we need to get ready for is because He is God coming into this world. He is Yahweh Himself coming in human flesh. He is divinity coming in human form. And the more important the person is, the more respectable the person is, the more you've got to get ready for them, isn't it? I mean, imagine if Prime Minister Li Xianlong came to your house at the Straits Times. You would, what would you do? You would clean up your house, isn't it? You would you'd get your life sort of sorted out a bit, isn't it? You clean, put the shoes in the corner. You do all sorts of things just to make your house look more respectable. I mean, it's the same thing when the Queen, I remember reading a paper a while, the Queen visited Topayo or something many years ago and visited some HDB flat. And this person took one week to clean their house, clean the curtains, wash the curtains, clean the, the, wipe the windows, do everything. And what John the Baptist says is, when we want to meet God, we just don't clean up our house. We need to clean up our lives, isn't it? We need to clean up our lives. And not just on the outside, but the inside. Because in verse 4, 
He came baptizing in the desert region, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then they were confessing their sins as they were being baptized. And the word here, repentance, shows that it is not an outward change. You know, I just wash my, my, my outside, but inside I'm, I'm still the same. Repentance means a change of the inside, a change of the mind, the heart. You see this word here, next slide. The word here, repentance, in the Greek literally means metanoia. Now, meta comes, you know, from the word metamorphosis. You know, metamorphosis means change. And noia means mind. So it literally means you've got to change your mind, change your heart. You've got to make a U-turn in the way that you live your life. If you want to be ready for God, you've got to turn away from doing your own thing and turn to God. And that will show itself by having a change in action. Change in action. See, to understand what uh, some biblical words mean, it's very helpful to turn to other parts of the Bible which expand on what that word means. Right in Acts chapter 3, which is up here, you can see it. This is how they define repentance. Repent then, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. When God raised up His servant, He sent Him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. That is what repentance means. The turning, the turning from your wickedness, turning away from your wickedness and turning to God. See, that's what it means to be ready to meet with God, to meet with Jesus. And that's why when they were being baptized, there was a confession of sin because they were saying, look, I renounce this sin. This is the sins that I've done before, but I no more will I live in this way. So are we ready? Are we ready to meet with Jesus? Are we listening to the message of John the Baptist? Because we cannot meet Jesus or meet God in our natural state. We cannot just go to God and Jesus in our normal state without attempting to turn around our lives and repent of our old way of living and turn to God. Some of you may have been reading the newspaper over the last few weeks. You know, there's been a, 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 big, a bit of a media storm if you read the forum news sections, right? You know, people write into the newspaper all the time. And you know, uh, SingPost got the people to spray the mailbox, right? And then people said, you know, why is it when all these people were spraying the mailbox, how come people only take the camera phone and film it but they don't call the police or stop them? Why don't they stop these people, right? Or, you know, recently, some young lady got molested at a New Year's uh, Eve party and people filmed it again with their camera and no one stopped them. Or you read about young people uh, recently who, uh, you know, they, they, they have underage sex. Or there was recently four teenagers who beat up policemen who told them to stop smoking. And people write in and say, what's wrong with people these days, right? What is wrong with people? It's not normal that they do these sort of things. But actually it is normal. It is normal to be selfish. It is normal to be self-centered. It is normal to just look after yourself and not help other people or do good, isn't it? And that's why John the Baptist comes. Because to get ready, we have to be abnormal. We have to choose not to live for ourselves, but to live and turn to God and turn away from our evil and our sin and our selfishness and self-centeredness. The divine coming of Jesus demands a right response. Now, God is not looking for perfection, right? 
We don't need to be perfect before we meet God. God is not looking for us to impress Him. But God says to meet up with Him, we need to turn our lives around. So, it doesn't matter for you. Some of you may have come to church 1,000 times, right? For some people, this might be your first time at church. But all of us, to meet God, still have to keep a U-turn in our life, repent and turn to Him. So in conclusion, I recently heard of a prayer meeting in uh, some other place. I won't, I won't be too particular, uh, specific, uh, right? Where uh, there are a lot of people who don't go to this prayer meeting anymore. And why is it? Is it, is it because it starts too early? No. Is it because it goes on too long? No. But it's because I heard that in this prayer meeting, people gossip against one another. And this prayer meeting, people slander one another. And this prayer meeting, there are factions and rivalries against one another. And in fact, there are even accusations of people stealing from one another. Now, you know, these people, even though they're doing a Christian thing, are not ready to meet God. They're not ready to meet Jesus because they have not repented of their life. They're not made a U-turn and turn to God and given up the wicked acts that they used to live in. In many churches today, we don't hear about repentance, right? Repentance, who, who hears, hears of repentance? Uh, many churches, we just preach about prosperity, wholeness, grace, successful living. But what about repentance? Because without repentance, we cannot meet with God. There are people I know of who sleep with one another, call themselves Christians, they break out and go sleep with other people, and they still call themselves Christians as if that is a magic word that will make them right to meet with God and meet with Jesus. But John the Baptist says no. There must be repentance or confessing of sin. So are we ready? Are you ready to meet with Jesus? Jesus is God saves. He is the King of all kings. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, He is God, Yahweh Himself. As we listen to this passage, we must ask ourselves, are we ready to meet with God? And the only way to be ready is to repent and to turn to Him. And only then can we receive Jesus, receive forgiveness, and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear loving and heavenly Father, as we come before you today, Help us to see that Jesus is truly someone who is so great that even the great prophet John the Baptist saw himself as unworthy to untie the sandals of his untie, untie his sandals. Help us to see that if that's the way that John the Baptist saw Jesus, then we should see Jesus in the same light, that he is a mighty, mighty God that He is your Son, that He is you coming into the world to save, that He is your Christ. Therefore, as we prepare to meet Him, help us to repent of our sins. Help us to put aside the, the wrong things in our heart and our mind. Let us truly have a U-turn in our lifestyle and that we will put aside all the acts of wickedness that we have practiced. Dear Father, we want to truly thank you for how the Gospel of Mark today has told us to get ready. And dear Father, we pray that truly in every way in our heart 
and our minds will be free from the wickedness of sinful living which comes from being selfish and self-centered, which says that I am God, but instead turns to Jesus and say Jesus is God instead. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.